You are listening to the Auditory Entertainment's production of A Lavish Tale by R.M. Hicks. Performed by Miranda Johnson and Ryan Johnson. Part One. It is this way every morning. The birth of light rising up languidly like a bubble of air in a vial of oil. Every plant quivers minutely in anticipation of its promises. Every artist who gazes at it finds the word beauty clinging to his tongue. And every prisoner who bears witness to it succumbs to despair by the lonely weight of monotony. I am a prisoner. My crime is love. My cell is my life. The infant sunrise was a golden seam between the darkness of the sea and sky. Warm gusts of air caromed off the toiling ocean and forced the mighty eagle Wonderhorn to brace himself against their currents. His talons tightened on the stone perch of the tower, lest the winds push him catastrophically into the frail scaffolding used by the retainers. He pecked a side of beef out of a trough and gnawed on it a couple times to squeeze the savory taste of blood throughout his mouth, then swallowed it whole. When the retainers cranked up another portion, Wonderhorn felt a twinge of disappointment, for it usually meant he'd be flying inland instead of out to sea. Over the waters he was allowed to fish, hence a single serving on those days. Of course, the retainers recommended against it, fishing, that is, citing safety concerns and problems about wet leather straps and rusted buckles. But Wonderhorn's current companion loved the rush and the swoop and the spray of water on his face. Usually those ordained to the regal order of cloud knights were older, stoic, passionless men. To be assigned one with a tincture of youth and enthusiasm made Wonderhorn the envy of his brood. The eagles have observed that old men control conflict through authority. They watch battles from a surveyor's distance, shouting commands and implementing tactics. Young men, on the other hand, control conflict by fighting. Eagles live for battle. Wonderhorn has his scars, covered over patches of permanently ruffled feathers, and he was proud of them. He licked a blood squirt off the sharp point of his beak and nodded his massive white head approvingly. The cloud knight, Sir Lavishton Moore, watched the retainers hoist up the bronze-trimmed crown, a petal-shaped windshield, then returned his anxious contemplations toward the distant, glimmering sea. He wore a brightly polished helm with a full face visor and golden wings flaring high off the back. Pauldrons sloped outward in such a way that, at a silhouette's distance, Lavish appeared to have wings. A breastplate hid underneath a swaying white tabard immaculately embroidered with a swooping eagle. Padded gloves and boots were extra thick for the cold. And lastly, a long sword with an elaborate hilt in a polished wooden scabbard, hung at his side. The white-robed avian master approached Sir Lavish Dinmore. He performed a quick spin of the arms so that the hefty feathered cuffs of his robe wrapped once around. Then he bowed humbly, 
A silver ponytail brushed the ground. He presented the young knight with the rod of delinquency, and for the first time of his five-year tenure, Lavish declined inspection of Wonderhorn. The avian master scrunched his bushy face in perplexity, then slackened with worry, for it occurred to him that in all his long years of service in the aviary, only thrice has he seen a cloud knight decline inspection. Knights relied on the pedantry of such customs. They were an integral part of discipline, and no knight survived without his discipline. It was his shield against fear, and without that shield, how could they stand against the terrors out there? Yet, on rare occasions, the final occasion, they forego the customs, as if to emphasize to all the futility of denying fate its due. The avian master looked hard into Sir Dunmore's hazel eyes in hopes of ascertaining some clues as to his intentions. They were clear, emotionless, and blank, as the entire focus of the man was inside himself, the external world was trivialized. A gleam from the magnificent hilt of his sword drew the avian master's attention. That sword was the subject of much rumor and conjecture, as it was the source of Lavish Dunmore's success and fame, the sword that held many secrets, and none did Lavish betray. To see that sword, to see him wield it, was to bear witness to death. The avian master made an assumption that he felt in his heart he knew to be true, that Lavish would not be returning from this mysterious journey. Lavish scratched at his red beard, which had the effect of bringing him back to the present, and he started off to the scaffolding. He paused alongside Wonderhorn's massive head. Little red droplets from this morning's breakfast speckled the edges of his mouth. They would be flying out this morning with a bloody beak. Lavish took it as an omen. Looking at the eagle's icy blue eye, he asked, You ready, my friend? Wonderhorn replied with a short affirmative call that forced the retainers to press their hands to their ears. They cranked away the catwalks as soon as Lavish buckled himself into the saddle. They lined up on the deck, feathered collars and long hair, restless in the breeze, and Lavish performed a highly dramatic gesture. He unsheathed the sword he kept hidden from all eyes and saluted them. They gasped, seeing the brilliant blue gleam on the straight double-edged blade. Lavish and the sword disappeared as Wonderhorn backstepped off the perch. She only sleeps. I am always awake. When I embrace her, it suffers me, for I find in her only dreams. And the absence of her affection is the famine of my drought. They flew out to sea anyway. Wonderhorn heard Lavish issue a triple chirp from the whistle built into his helm. The command allowed the eagle to fly as fast and high as he pleased. His double heart sent a tingle up to his head and out to his wings. He squinted even though the membrane over his eyes deterred most of the wind pressure, for this was how they smiled. Mighty cinnamon red wings stroked the air furiously, 
the gales of which has torn banners from their place, ripped roofs off of houses, and sent men sprawling on their backs. Sir Lavishton Moore held the sword high, straight and rigid, its sharply honed sapphire blade brightened from the exhilaration of the rapid ascent. In the stiff, constant pressure of wind, his arm wearied, but he would not relent from portraying what he was shown. When his arm trembled, he channeled his anxiousness into the blade, which stimulated its energies, and an electrical current surged through his arm and shoulder, locking the muscles up tight. The wind would now have to tear his arm off in order to bring the weapon down. Memories of the first time he beheld the sword stirred his thoughts. He had seen his face reflected on the mirrored surface. At a glance, he recognized its craft to be of some ancient elven kind. The weapon was not made of gems, but from metals forged by magics and compression. His face, distinct and pronounced on the blade, infused in him a notably ill feeling, for he didn't have a full beard as the reflection showed. The older self unsettled him, then frightened him, as he considered the possibility that the sword might know him and may have even sought him out. Lavish resisted a gut reaction to just drop it. The hag who solicited the fabulous weapon wanted only bread in exchange for it. Sword in hand, he watched the old woman lead her basket-laden mule into the woods. She had done what she was obliged to do, and having completed it, having rid herself of the weapon, her life was no longer in peril. It occurred to him then that fate was no longer as oblique as the black gaps in dreams. It was now a swift current, rushing him headlong to the sea, over the falls. At first, these questions worried him, but that quickly faded, for the fire and feistiness that was his nature reassured him. It didn't matter where fate took him, as long as it stayed swift. A few years later, Lavish would be ceremoniously inducted into the Honorable Order of Cloud Knights. He traded in a hooved steed for an eagle. He grew a beard so that his face wouldn't freeze. In the long quiets of travel and sleeplessness, while idly enamored in the weapon's craft, he felt the stir of consciousness. He learned the sword had a name, Tumult. Over time, he felt her in there and learned of a place important to her, the Bavora Isles. Fate's tide rushes lavish toward it now. Bavora Isles is a place of mystery and legend and lost to most travelers. Surrounded by a persistent, impenetrable fog, they became isolated and dangerous, transforming from a mystical paradise into a breeding ground for wyverns and other fiends. The Order of Cloud Knights disavowed contact with it decades ago, calling it a desolation and nothing more. Yet Lavish discovered otherwise in Tumult. Altitude set, speed a casual glide sustained by the occasional stroke of wings. Lavish guided Wonderhorn onto the necessary trajectory, as determined by Tumult. In a previous epic, Bavora was home to fairies, 
those mischievous prodigies of the arts and the fates. The fairies have this innate talent for manipulating the rawest particles of essence. From these slivers of essence that had touched a person's life force, they constructed silvery strands of light. With these filaments, they fashioned beautiful webs. The webs grew on their own, attuned to the emanations of time and consciousness. These webs traced the life and events of those persons from whom they were formed. The strands grew toward other webs as people's lives interacted. Children formed new spindles. And then there are those persons whose authority and prestige is so great that their influence became a web of its own. All these people's lives are woven into one another's web. Web upon webs, whole sections of forest became encased in these silver gossamer blankets. Time brings old age to mortals, and old age is the absence of fate. Those webs curl in upon themselves, becoming a cocoon of memories just hanging there forever. I imagine what mine must look like. A thing of stunted growth, a thing powerless to expand. Has mine already begun twisting in upon itself? Is it a bland, shapeless mass maligned by a stagnate life? Until I free her, I cannot live. The day was waning, and Lavish had grown painfully stiff in the saddle. There was only ocean and sky, but no place to rest. He would have had Wonderhorn land on driftwood if he thought it would allow him a minute to stand and stretch. The sudden appearance of the fog drove out all discomfort, for he entered it and it engulfed him without any warning. He had, of course, sheathed tumult many hours ago, but brought her out now so that her glow might confirm the accuracy of their flight. Many minutes passed away in the mist. When Wonderhorn slowed and condensed the spread of his wings, his head moving to and fro as he attempted to see through the fog the enemies his keen smell had discovered, a guttural screech rumbled out his throat to alert Lavish of the potential danger. They first appeared as a shadowy disturbance within the grayness. Lavish could guess as to what they might be, but he encouraged Wonderhorn to keep as much distance from them as possible. And quite unexpectedly, the fog thinned, and the Bavora Isles became obvious as tall palisades poked out of the white haze. Lavish heard the whining caw of the seagulls that lived and mated amongst its sheer walls. He heard the crash of the surf, like a mellow tempo under the rush of wind, and saw the unsettling silhouettes of wyverns. Mythically, they were the lowliest, most degenerate breed of prehistory's dragonkin. They possessed long, snaky bodies, mottled green and brown, and wiggled awkwardly through the air with the aid of stubby, feathered wings. Beaked maw, spiky neck, and a poison-filled stinger for a tail, they hunt down anything they can sting, gouge it, then follow it until it succumbs. They could not have known Wonderhorn was immune to most poisons, including theirs. And they were much smaller than Wonderhorn, 
but the terrifying danger they posed was a propensity to swarm. Lavish speedily passed over several vast clusters of earth, their foundations laden under the burden of jungle. The air around Bavora seemed thicker and denser than the norm. Ruins of civilizations littered the cliffs of the main island. Vines lounged on the balconies. Weeds rooted in the crumbling roads. And the trees rose up through the roofs, their canopies spreading over the ruins, as if protecting the broken and wounded buildings from the weather's tyranny. The ruins succumbed to the jungle, and the island's green floor stretched past the horizon in every direction. Gradually, the elevation climbed until a gray, flat-topped mountain loomed in the distance. He had seen the volcano before. Tumult showed it to him during dreamy meditations. Wyverns nested all along its barren neck. Over the rim, the caldera fell deeply, its basin cooled by a pristine green lake. Centered in the caldera, an ivory dome poked out of the water that served as a foundation for a sleek, turret-crowned tower. Their presence was no longer tolerable, and the wyverns flew toward Wonderhorn in mass. Lavish knew he had to prevent them from swarming, and his only option now was to frighten them. Lavish chose an enormous, brutish wyvern, full of rancor, and charged toward it. The wyvern responded in kind, its pigeon-gray wings whipped up and down, its thorny tail curled underneath with the stinger pointed toward the front, and its beaked mouth was open wide, screaming defiance. The bold wyvern suddenly thought differently of the situation seeing the giant eagle coming down fast with talons out. It stopped screaming and started slowing, but it could neither stop nor change course fast enough. Wonderhorn swooped down upon it, ably snatching the head in his mouth, then tearing it off. Gray feathers and spurts of blood littered the air while the body twisted and jerked in death spasms until splashing into the lake. Wonderhorn soared the volcano's rim, gnawing on his trophy. Blood flowed out the remnants of the neck, widening into brownish-red ribbons and trailed behind like some necromancer's macabre banner. I believe in fate. I know, without a doubt, that it exists. Unfortunately, the dreariness of a day dulls the luster of destiny. An unbroken chain of empty days sours all destinies into remorseful tragedies. The flavor of past victories flattens and the burn of failure inflames. As such, tedium causes one to want to blasphemy against destiny, to repudiate and dispute its very existence. But it does exist, forever cemented and embalmed by premonition, by the perfect clairvoyance of intuition. To be specific, let your arrival serve as an example. I knew at once, through the tensions and heightened agitation of the wyvern, that their distress was your doing, tumult. Though it could have been anybody or anything, storms, earthly tremors, 
migrations of sharks that deplete their favorite food, or even thieves and knightly fools with eyes lusting for glory and treasures. They come infrequently, but they do come. It could have been anyone, but I accepted premonition and knew it was you. For it has been the remembrance of you that has invaded my thoughts of late. I'm glad you have come, Tumult, for you provide me with a needed distraction from the toils of loneliness. Ah, such memories we have had. If ever there was a nemesis of your equal, I know not who. Yes, you shall serve as an eager distraction, an outlet for my frustrations. We shall have many long engagements as I pull from you the knowledge of how you knew to find me here. And your host, I hope he is not important to you because I am going to have to tear him from you, rip him from you like a fingernail out of a cuticle. His fate is my anger now. A deafening thunderclap shook the air with a ferocity that caused Wonderhorn to jerk. Lavish looked to the tower, expecting to see it broken or blasted to rubble. It was intact and encapsulated in a bubble. The wavering, unsteady translucence of the bubble reminded Lavish of a mirage caused by searing heat. At the epicenter, which was the top of the tower, a dark mass formed and began taking on a monstrous shape. The shadowy mass sprouted a long neck of corded muscle and a mane of ivory horns, four sinewy arms and four reptilian legs, and a sleek tail that skimmed the lake's surface. A ferocious howl from the dragon dispersed the bubble, and a single swipe of the immense wings cast waves upon the lake and thrust it easily into the sky. It was so immense, so grand and frightening, that Lavish's senses faltered. Everything sort of froze, as though the magnitude of the image couldn't be actualized, as if his senses had gone into shock. Its size was too large to see all at once. The dragon flew swiftly and smoothly, its front wings tapered and bony, retracted against its body, pumping the air back. A second pair, set further along the spine, were rounded and flapped downward in perfect synchronicity with the front. Its many eyes speckled on a dark, knobby maw and glistened like polished black pearls. The pearls twitched and kept tumult in their focus as it pursued them. Wonderhorn flew in a broad upward spiral over the caldera, then angled down on a hard right, intent on testing the adversary's agility. Tumult's blue shine brightened to a glare as the intensity of the descent quickened, forcing Lavish to avert his eyes. Was this brilliance a manifestation of her excitement? He heard the grumble of an earthquake. It was the dragon's growl. Its head lurched on that taut neck and opened a mouth beset with rows of sharp teeth that careened toward Wonderhorn. The eagle quickly twisted, avoiding the snap of its maw. Lavish's heart paused in his chest, painfully so. At the same time, there was a loud electric crackle and blinding flash of light, 
as Tumult discharged a magnificent plume of energy. Spots of afterglow and nausea confounded Lavish. When Wonderhorn swooped in a new direction, he lost all orientation. Tumult's blast had the effect of knocking the dragon out of the air, causing it to collide against the wall of the caldera. The gray dust of the impact continued to billow up as it clung there, straining its head to find where they went. Its many eyes blinked and winced, blinded by the liquid black rivulets that dripped from a sizzling wound in its face. Wonderhorn zipped up along the flank of the dragon, then ably looped downward in a remarkable display of acrobatics and raked his talons along a wing. The dragon's head righted stiffly, its chest expanded, sucking in air, and it trumpeted out its pain in a concussive roar that hit Wonderhorn with a wall of sound. The roar physically pushed Wonderhorn down, causing him to splash against the lake. After a brief struggle for control, Wonderhorn lifted up off the water and circled around the base of the tower to gain momentum while the dragon flew up to a position above them. The dragon seemed preoccupied, sucking in huge gulps of air, and the opportunity was not missed by Wonderhorn, who hastened toward the blue ceiling, streaking past the dragon and out of the caldera. Acceleration and gravity pinned Lavish to the saddle. He felt, more than he heard, a grumble building up from behind them and wrenched his head around over his shoulder. He expected to see the dragon. Instead, he saw a meteoric ball of flame lurching toward them. Dive! Lavish screamed. Wind slammed his words back into his face, yet Wonderhorn heard him clearly enough and did exactly as Lavish commanded. He tucked his wings, shifted, and stiffened the tail, and they swung down and forward. The sky exploded. Heat and brilliance expanded over the volcano as vast as a sunset. Wonderhorn flapped, but continued to fall. His wings found no substance, as if all the air had been burned up. Finally, his wings gripped the wind before the trees broke their fall. Lavish could smell the heated metal of his helm and the eagle's burnt feathers. He was ready to go back. This opponent wasn't his for the taking. Maybe not even the whole order of cloud knights could defeat this foe. It was possible some of them even knew it was here, and that's why they stayed away. Then Tumult hummed with static fervor. Apparently she wasn't done, and neither was Wonderhorn. They circled wide, keeping just above the jungle canopy. The torrent of his wings thrashed the hardy trees with a hurricane's fury. Wonderhorn raced up the igneous gray neck of the volcano like a circus chariot on a ramp, launching the eagle into the sky. They came down even faster. Lavish's head felt as if it were wrapped in ice. The wind rushing past was as loud as a scream. He felt something wet smear across his cheek. Was it blood? An intense sensation of heat made him think the dragon was exhaling another inferno, but did not have the wherewithal to know for sure. Wonderhorn spiraled round a column of fire like a child sliding down a pole. He passed right behind the dragon and latched onto its tail. Talons and beak pulled off long strips of meat and yanked the dragon out of the sky. 
It collided into the tower, demolishing a turret and sending cracks down the shaft. Wonderhorn gracefully leveled out and skimmed over the water. Another stream of flame reflected orange across the lake and blasted into the caldera wall just ahead of them. It splashed like spurting lava, and there was no way to avoid it. Tumult emitted a bright glow, blinding lavish. It felt like a mule kicked him in the chest. There was a deafening crash of thunder the moment his heart stopped. This concludes part one of the Auditory Entertainment's production of A Lavish Tale by R.M. Hicks. Performed by Miranda Johnson and Ryan Johnson. If you would like to see more of the author's work, please visit his webpage at vermilionroot.com. Thank you for listening.